Matthew chapter number 16 tonight. Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16. It was a pleasure to get to teach in the Safe Haven Sunday School class this morning. Brother Frank texted me this afternoon. He is doing some better, uh, but keep praying. Uh, he's, not, he's still not feeling all 100%. Um, pray that he gets some sleep. If you know anything about Brother Frank, is on a normal one. He's in perfect health. He'll sleep about four or five hours a night. Um, so when he's sick, that cuts down about two or three hours a night, and that don't make it any better. So um, pray for Brother Frank that the Lord will give him peace and just let him sleep and let him eat something good and get better. The Lord knows we need Brother Frank. We love him. We miss him. Uh, make sure to reach out to him this week and pray for him and a sweet wife. Uh, and I, w- I was proud of myself. This morning, I, I'm, I know I'm supposed to brag on God, and I will, but I got to brag on myself this morning. There was two or three people that came up to me after the Sunday school class and said, you slowed down and I could hear what you were saying, all right? And I didn't have no microphone, I didn't have no... So I, it, I just felt great that I could figure out... Now, every other line of my outline said, slow down, okay? But that's the side of the point, okay? So I'm going to try to do... The same thing tonight, make sure everybody can hear. Uh, tonight in Matthew chapter number 16, we're going to be zooming in on a time where Jesus has just wrapped up a miracle tour, all right? He has just went and He fed the 5,000. He's just walked on the water. Then He fed the 4,000. Then He cast out some demons. He healed some sick. He uh, did many miracles and He was all the while combating and having discourse with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's been on a miracle tour all the way in these chapters leading up to chapter number 16. And tonight we're going to zoom in on our text in Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 13. If you find that, stand with me when you find it. Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of the Man, am? Son of Man, am. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build, church, read those next two words with me, my church. One more time, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This evening I want to preach on that thought, my church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... Jesus Christ and for Him being the solid rock that we're founded on and for the Christ of Calvary to be the one that we could propel forward and be the church of the living God and be not an organization but an organism, a body of believers that is worldwide, that is world-renowned God and that has a world mission to seek and to save that which is lost and to preach the gospel to every creature. God, I pray tonight as we go into this evening service that You bless the preaching of Your Word. Get me out of Your way. Do what only You can do. Speak to the hearts of this Thy people. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. I want to disclaim right as the message starts that when I title this message, My Church, I am simply saying that in quotation marks. That the My Church of the title of the sermon is that very quote where Jesus said, I will build 
my church. So uh, don't get it twisted tonight. Bryce is not saying that the church belongs to him. But when I when you hear the words my church, I am referring to when Jesus said my church, because quite frankly, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is not Pastor Dan's church. This is not the Pope's church. This is not fill in the blanks church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the one that paid for it. He is the one that initiated it. He is the one that founded it. He is the one that birthed it into existence. And when Jesus Christ said my church, He was the only one that would have the authority to say that. And He still is. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as we use that phraseology and we use that phrase, my church, please know and please understand that when I say that tonight during the message that I'm referring to the church of the living God, to Jesus' church, okay? But that's the language he chose to use. And Matthew chapter number 16 starts out with, again, they'd been on this tour of all these miracles and the, the disciples had seen him feed the 5,000 and they'd seen him walk on the water. They'd seen him feed the 4,000 and they saw him cast out demons, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, make the lame to walk. They saw all these miraculous things. And then Jesus poses a question to him at the beginning of verse number 13. And he says, who do men say that I am? So he's going to get two answers out of his disciples. Notice here, he's not asking everyone this question. He's asking his followers, his disciples. He says, who do men say that I am? And in verse 14, they say, some say that they're, you're John the Baptist and some Elisha and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets, three men, <clears throat> excuse me, that had lived and that had died. They were great men of God. They were great prophets of God. They were great preachers of God, like John the Baptist. Je Jesus even said, there's never been a man that's lived like John the Baptist. There's none greater than John the Baptist. And Jesus even made that compliment to him. But yet they were men who had simply lived and died at that point. And uh, when, when he asked that question, the disciples said, well, some say you're one of these great men of God that have died and now you've returned and you're, you're doing these things. That's the only explanation that men can come up with that maybe the Pharisees had come up with or maybe the Sadducees had come up with or maybe uh, some of the fishermen had come up with. The people around that had heard the message of uh, Jesus, that had seen the miracles, their simple explanation was, that he must be one of these three great men that his his fervency and his power and his preaching makes him like John the Baptist or his prophecy and his wisdom and his miracles makes him like Elisha or his tears and his fervency and his compassion and his heart that makes him like Jeremiah. And they had simply, in short, said, you're something like what we've seen in the past. You're something that we've seen before. You're just like this man or this man or that man. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He looks at His disciples and He says, but who say ye that I am? He looks at His followers. He looks at what would be the foundation and the beginning founding members of His church in the book of Acts. He looks at those preacher boys that have been following Him, that have been hearing Him, that have been witnessing what He's been doing. And He says, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter stands and said, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Church, if that is not your answer to who Jesus is, then you've got the wrong answer to the question tonight. By introduction, we need to understand that we don't think Jesus was just a man. We don't think Jesus was somebody that was resurrected and, and taught many powerful lessons and taught many powerful parables and then simply died and passed off the scene. That us as the church of the living God, our answer to that question is that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that 
This is significant in the way Peter answers it. When he says, Thou art the Christ, he was referring to Jesus being the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, the Redeemer of the Abrahamic covenant. And then he says, The Son of the living God. Though Peter didn't totally understand it at this time, he didn't know the full picture. He hadn't seen it yet. He said something so profound. He was professing the deity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, God the Son, not only to redeem the nation of Israel, not only to redeem the Abrahamic covenant, but he was able to redeem humanity by his place in the Holy Trinity of God, that he was not just another man. He was not just another Jeremiah. He was not just another John the Baptist. He was not just another prophet or another priest or another preacher. He was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He was God, the son. He had a place in the Holy Trinity that was there at the beginning, that was there, there, right there on the shores in Caesarea Philippi, and he would be there for eternity future. He was God is what Peter is saying. We don't just think you're another man. We know and we believe you are God, the Son, is what he was saying here. Got to understand how big of a statement that was. Peter wasn't just saying you're a man. He was saying you are God. And it is this statement and this belief in our hearts that joins people like you and I into the family of God. Because when you believe the gospel, that is what you are believing, that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. He is the Redeemer. He is the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. He is the one that died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And when Peter made that statement, it is the same statement of faith that we still cling to 2,021 years later. It's that Jesus was not just some great teacher. He was not just some man like we've seen before. He wasn't like dead Muhammad. He wasn't like dead Buddha. He wasn't like dead founder Confucius. He wasn't uh, the author of this book or the author of that book. He wasn't somebody that laid down and had a dream and wrote some stuff down and gained a following. He was the only one, the one, the chosen one who came, who lived, who died, who rose again to save you and I from our sins. And it is that statement that we still cling to that births us in to the family of God is what Peter was saying there. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, this is a very important distinction to make here. Jesus looks at him and he says, verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto, unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build, what are those two words? My church. Tonight, my church, if we were to look back to the Greek, the Greek word for church there is ekklesia, a simple word that means a called out assembly. Praise the Lord that even though the Jews got it twisted, Jesus was not talking about constructing a building or a temple or a tabernacle. He was not talking about constructing a beautiful building made with man's hands. He was not talking about constructing a beautiful auditorium or a beautiful sanctuary or a beautiful synagogue. He was talking about building an organism, a living body, a living bride, a living church, something that is alive, something that is mobile, something that is real, something that is tangible, something that cannot be explained with the things of this world or the logic of this world. You can't explain how the church of the living God is still here 
year after 2,021 years, even though empires have rose and fell and big Fortune 500 economies have rose and fell and big businesses and big dictators and big this and big that have rose and fell and the church of the living God is still marching on. Why? Because is it a called out assembly? Because if it was just a building, it'd be gone by now. If it was just an organization, a company, it would be gone by now. If it was just a world empire, a government, it would be gone by now. But Jesus, using the words here, my church, means called out assembly. We're going to make another very important distinction here in verse number 17. Number one, the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church. We have to see here that it is the statement Peter is making that it is the foundation of the church. There is a giant portion of so-called Christianity that believes that Peter was the foundation that Jesus was referring to in our text, but it's very simple to disprove that. If we see here in verse number 17, he says, And Jesus answered in him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, look at this, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. He just said, the words that just came out of your mouth, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, is not something that came from the mind of someone who is flesh and blood. So why then would Jesus turn and say, the idea you've just had could not have come from a human, and then turn and say, I'm going to build my church on a human? Wouldn't make much sense now, would it? That's because that's not what happened. He says, but my father... But my Father, in verse number 17, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He's saying, you Peter, you're the one who's been given this statement. And this statement of faith, this truth that I am Jesus, I am the Christ, I am God the Son, I am the Son of the living God, that is the statement, that is the foundation that I will build my church on. So somebody asks you, what's your church built on? What's the foundation? What's the what's the, the absolute baseline of your church? What's the heartbeat of your church? The answer is very simple. Jesus Christ. It was a powerful statement. It was so key not to get this twisted. Flesh and blood did not come up with this idea. Flesh and blood did not come up with the idea of my church. Flesh and blood may have come up with the idea of Maybe the Roman Catholic Church or flesh and blood may have come up with the idea of maybe the, uh, the Mormon Church or flesh and blood may have uh, came up with the idea of the Jehovah's Witness Church or flesh and blood may have come up with the idea of the, the Buddhist temple or flesh and blood. They can all be traced back to a man. But Jesus Christ said that this idea is not of flesh and blood. This idea, this foundational truth comes from God in heaven. You didn't come up with the idea, Peter. They didn't come up with the idea, Peter. No man walking this earth came up with this idea. The foundational truth of the church being Jesus Christ was an idea, was a, <clears throat> um, a belief based solely in the mind of the Creator God. That's where my church came from. That's where your church came from. Because the spoiler alert to this message is that my church and your church are His church. And it was His my church before it was your my church and before it was my my church. It was His church. And He said the foundation, you got to understand here, is not built on any man. Is not built on any man, nor did it come from the idea of a man. It was not just a powerful statement, but a profound statement. This statement, what has been revealed to you, Peter, will soon be revealed to the world. It will soon be revealed to the world. And it will be this truth 
that will be the foundation that I build upon. The Bible clearly says in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that no other foundation can no man lay than that which is Christ Jesus. The song we sing is, uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So in a world literally full of sinking sand, of this teaching falling down and this teaching falling down and this theory being disproven and this theory being disproven, yet the church remains stable on its foundation. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't lost a battle. It hasn't lost any ground. The foundation it was built on is still there. Not only the foundation of the church, but we get to meet the founder of the church. We get to know the founder, the one who literally put it together. You realize that no other religion can say that? They can't say that they have a personal relationship with, him, with Muhammad because they can go to his tomb and see his body and see his casket. They can't say that they can have a relationship with Buddha because they can go to his shrine and his temple and see his little uh, ashes or whatever they did with him there. They can't say that they have a relationship with uh, Joseph Smith. They can go and they can find his body buried somewhere. They can't say that they have a relationship with uh, this pope or that pope or this cardinal or that cardinal because they die. Their bodies are there. We can find them. But you and I have a founder, have someone that founded our religion, that founded our relationship, that founded my church and founded your church that is alive. That we can know. That we can walk with and talk with and speak with. He's a sacrificial founder. He's a sacrificial founder. All the religions of the world, all the churches of the world, all the other ones besides the one that we're talking about here tonight, my church, say that God requires something of you. Muhammad says God requires martyrdom or God requires this perfection of a lifestyle. Buddhism calls it uh, enlightenment. God requires you to be enlightened or you're going to come back as a frog and try again. If you do good as a frog, you'll come back as, as, a, as a puppy dog. If you do good as a puppy dog, you'll come back as a monkey. And you just keep trying and trying until you get... God requires something of you. But... Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 25 says, As Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for it. Christ doesn't require anything of you. He gave to you. Do you understand that? Christ doesn't require you to check this box or check that box or check this box or that check that box. He's already checked them all. He's already fulfilled the law. He's already confirmed every jot, every tittle. He's already taken every sin to the cross of Calvary, nailed them to that cross. All that is up to us to do is have faith and believe that the payment has already been made, that the redemption has already been made, that the atonement has already been made, and God gives us eternal life. He's a sacrificial founder. He paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. He's a sacrificial founder. He's a living founder. His church stands alone as a faith where you can not only hear the stories and tell the tales and study about the founder, but you can know Him. You can know Him. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, how Jesus went all the way to that woman at the well, went all the way straight into Samaria, sat down and had this long conversation only to introduce her to Himself. Not to argue with her about societal dilemmas and not to argue with her about uh, <clears throat> spiritual delusions and not to argue with her about this or that and have these conversations. We found out this morning, she tried. She tried to distract from the conversation. She tried to get confrontational and he kept talking about that water. He kept talking about the water that he wanted to give her. He kept talking about the gift that he had brought to her. He kept talking about himself. 
And then when she came to the place where He could introduce to her that He was the Messiah, He was the Christ, He was the one she was looking for. He is a living founder. You don't have to go to anybody and tell them that you go to a dead, dry, or a boring church. You go to my church. You go to your church. You go to His church where He is alive. He is well. He is moving. He is saving. He is on the move. He is mobile. He is a living founder. I love the song, God's Not Dead. God's not dead. Did you know there's a lot of Christians that act like He is? Never smile, never have joy, never have peace. Stressed out about everything. Get up every morning and turn on the news and think about all the things i got to worry about that day. He's alive. He's still on the throne. We've, we read the end of the book. We win. Nothing's surprising Him. God's not turning on Fox News and going, man, I didn't see that coming. It's not happening. He's not turning on CNN and going, wow, I didn't, I didn't expect that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He knew. He knows. It's not catching him off God. He is alive. He is a living founder. And he's an active founder. It is a false idea. It is a false idea, a lie of the devil, that God left his church up to men and said, I'm ascending. Figure it out, boys. No, what did he say? He says, I go, but I will send a comforter to you. The Holy Spirit of God has indwelt and been active and moving on the scene ever since the foundation of the church there at Pentecost. There's much debate over did the church start here or did the church start there or did they start preaching here? Or they start preaching there. Here's the moral of the story. The church started. Here's the moral of the story. The church grew. Here's the moral of the story. The church is still here. The church is still active. The Holy Spirit of God is still moving. He's still convicting. He's still saving. We have created much noise. And we have as a people, as a nation, have created a lot of chaos and created a lot of sin and created a lot of problems that are attempting to drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit, drawing those to repentance, drawing those to Himself, but He's still doing it. He's still drawing. He's still calling. He's still saving this evening. He's an active founder. Jesus didn't just go ascend and sit down on the right hand of God and say, all right, I guess we'll see what happens. Watch this science experiment play out. Nope. He sent the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, to indwell the church, to minister to the church, and to head up the church. Move it along until He comes back to get His church. We're talking about my church tonight. The foundation of the church, the founder of the church. Thirdly, the future of the church. This is where it gets good. Look at verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is a sure future. It's common to hear this used to express the church and that it's able to defend against all the attacks of Satan. But it's clear that that's not what this text indicates. When have you ever seen the gates of something being used to attack something. Think about that. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Are gates an offensive mechanism or a defensive mechanism? Why do you put a gate up? To keep people out. As a defensive mechanism. 
So you're saying this whole time, preacher, that my church is supposed to be the aggressor? My church is supposed to be the one on the attack? My church is supposed to be the one active and on the move? Yes, that's absolutely what this text teaches. This text does not teach that we're supposed to sit in our pews and and just hold tight and hide and, and hubble under the rocks and hide in the dens and hide in the mountains like the Jews did and hide and do this and do that. No, this text clearly teaches that my church is a church that is on the move, that is active, that is seeking and preaching and witnessing and seeing souls come to Christ and seeing souls grow and seeing spiritual growth happen and that the gates of hell, the the fiery torments of the devil, the temptations of Satan, they will not be able to sway the attacks of the church. They will not be able to defend against the power of the gospel. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, my church will be on the move. Hell itself will not be able to stop my church. Aren't you worried about running in buses? Aren't you worried about going after this and going after that? Aren't you worried about having that conversation with her, having that conversation with Hey, the gates of hell ain't going to be able to stop what God started. The gates of hell aren't going to be able to stop what God's doing at my church and at your church and at His church. My church is one that is the aggressor, that is on the attack, that is going after the lost sheep that is going after the lost, that is going after the ones that need to hear the gospel. Our minds have gotten flipped thinking that we're on the defense. We hide under a rock until we hear the trumpet, then we climb out and go up. I've said it like this. I don't believe that God's going to come back and get a wounded bride. The Bible says it'll be spotless without blemish. It's going to be active. It's going to be on the move. If you say you're part of the bride of Christ, but you don't want to move, you don't want to do anything. You might start to question, am I, am I ready for His return? Am I part of His church? Am I part of my church? Am I part of your church? Am I part of the bride of the living God? Because He says, we're the aggressor. We're the aggressor. The church is the object that's on the attack here. Not only a sure future, but a sealed future. We win. We win. Spoiler alert. We win. We win. I was talking to a sweet lady after the election. And she said, oh, I just can't believe he, he got in there. Oh, I just can't believe it. Oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, you know, Miss So-and-so, I said, God stumped a lot bigger folks over the head than, than Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George Bush, but any of them, okay? Our Bible tells us clearly that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And that he seats and unseats rulers. But we get so worried and so stressed. And the devices and mechanisms of this world make it worse. Make it worse. Denzel Washington, a great actor, said that if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. And if you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. He had a point. He had a point. Because we'll put a commercial break in here. Social media, media, News media, they have one motive. Make money. That's it. That's what they do. That's why they do what they do. And if they get you mad, you ain't going to turn the channel because you want to see what happens next. You're going to watch all them ads. You're going to make them more money. It is their motivation not to inform you of anything, but to misinform you to the point where you don't turn the channel. Or you turn the channel just to get to the next channel that's owned by the same company and you watch that channel. You'd be shocked and surprised if you start going up the chain in some of these media companies and some of these media outlets. 
All the money's going in the same pocket. Okay? Do some research. The mechanisms and vices of Satan have always been to confuse, confound, and keep the people of God so worried, so fearful, so anxious that they don't have any faith because they're scared. They're worried. I'm not talking about being a moron. I'm not talking about going out there and doing things that are unsafe or unwise. I'm not talking. Wisdom is the beginning of knowledge, God's Word says. But we have to understand that we should be motivated by faith, as Pastor said this morning, not fear. They're total opposite things. We should make decisions based on faith this morning, not fear this evening. They're totally opposite things. Our pastor boldly said that this morning. Faith and fear are on opposite ends of the spectrum. God's only honors one of them. We understand that tonight. The future of the church is a sealed future. World empires, dictators, economies have all come. They've all gone. Here we are. Here the church is. Even in the worst of the worst of the worst locations, China and places like that where people are driven underground that they will get arrested for being a Christian, possibly executed if they won't denounce it. Still there. Still there. World power after world power after world power has fallen to the grip and vice of the Chinese empire, whether you know it or not. Doing a little bit more current event stuff tonight, and I hope that's okay. But nation after nation after nation is in the back pocket of China. Okay, that's real world news. Real. Okay, we, we know that. Church is still meeting in China. People are still getting saved in China. There's still a remnant, like God's Word said, that have not bowed the knee to Baal in China. Yet over here, they, they, they move our leaders around like puppet strings in the country that has under God in their Pledge of Allegiance still. Praise the Lord. The church is alive and well. My church is. Your church is because it's His church. The future of the church, lastly, the function of the church. Some of y'all thought I only had three points. Don't close your Bibles. Open back up. Matthew 16, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Another distinction here. He's not making him the Pope. All right? This is so much bigger than that. We get so small-minded and think, oh, he gave Peter the keys. Peter's so special. Okay? Mm -mm. Okay? Me and you are key holders too. Spoiler alert. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Key holders have a function. Peter was not merely giving access to the kingdom. He was given a key. What do keys do? Open doors, right? Who's the door? Jesus. Peter was given the ability to lead people to the open door of Jesus Christ. Peter was not given some super spiritual power or uh, patial you know, thing that has been mocked and made fun of today. Peter was being given the ability to tell people to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to open the door of salvation to any that would enter. Peter couldn't make people walk through the door. He couldn't make people accept the door. He couldn't make people accept the way the truth 
truth and the life, but He was given the key to proclaim and preach and witness and give the gospel to the world after Jesus would ascend. He wasn't just telling Peter, buddy, you're so special. Buddy, you're this, you're that. Now keep in mind, this is before Peter denied him. Jesus gave him this ability to be the preacher, to be the one that would stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim Jesus was the Son of God and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and see 3,000 people saved. He wasn't just giving them a literal key. He was giving them permission. He was giving them an anointing. He was giving them something to say, hey, you can say this message too. The message that you've been hearing me preach, Peter, about my church, it's going to be your message soon because it's going to be your church. And it's going to be Paul's church and it's going to be James's church and it's going to be John's church and it's going to be Brother Harold's church and it's going to be Brother Don's church and it's going to be Brother Larry's church and it's going to be Brother Jake's church and it's going to be Miss Jean's church. And, and hey, they're going to have to have keys too. They're going to have to tell people about the door. They're going to have to tell people about the way. They're going to have to tell people about the truth. They're going to have to tell people about the life. They're going to have to tell people about the one who built this church, who founded this church, who died on the cross of Calvary for their sins. I'm talking about my church, Peter, you're going to have to tell people about that. You're going to have to compel them to come in. Here's the key. You realize the day you got saved, there was your key? Because the day you got saved, you now have the testimony about how you met the door. About how you met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and how He came to you and saved your soul. You got a key. And that key's not to go in and out. Once you're in, you're in. Praise God. Once you're in, you're in. That key's to open the door to others. That key's to tell others about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He didn't stop there. Key holders have a function and law holders have a function. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Bind and loose here. I can't pronounce the Greek words, but they were significant in Jewish culture to mean proclaim aloud, or proclaim forbidden. To proclaim aloud, to proclaim forbidden. That was the job of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Old Testament. That was the job of the men who studied God's Word, God's law, God's commandments, God's written Word. You know what Peter was saying? he was saying to Peter? And them super-duper boys that were standing behind Peter? The ones that would begin to preach and start churches all over the Middle East after Jesus would ascend? He was saying, you're going to have the power to receive the Word of God and tell others what it says. Tell others what God's Word says is right and tell others what God's Word says is wrong. And whatever you say, boys, that God's Word tells to people is right, that's what's right. And whatever you say, boys, what God's Word says is wrong, is wrong. Now what did they not have that we have in the book of Acts? What did they not have that we have? I'll give you a hint, sitting in some of your laps. Bible. They didn't have the complete Word of God. Men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It was penned by holy men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We know that Scripture was something that was being given to them daily in Acts and in the early New Testament. But we know now that we have, we are His church. This is my church I'm talking about. This is your church you're talking about. This is God's church you're talking about. We have everything we need to proclaim what's allowed. We have everything we need to proclaim what's forbidden. We know what's right. We we know what's wrong. We know what's coming. The book of Revelations is better than tomorrow's newspaper. It's better than anything you're going to wake up and see on the news tomorrow. It's better than anything anybody's going to tell you about at the gym or at the golf course or at work the next week. You already know you have it because you go to my church. 
and you go to his church and you go to your church. This holiday season, why don't you tell somebody about my church? Why don't you tell somebody about my church? Whose church is it? It's Jesus' church. If you get bogged down with telling somebody about Anchor Hope, they're going to come see me, big, some sweaty guy that yells a lot. I'm going to say, there's nothing really oppressive about that church. You go telling somebody about this church or that church and throwing this preacher or that preacher or this, that, or the other. Uh-uh. But you tell them about Jesus' church. You tell them about where He found you. You tell them about what He's done for you. Take this holiday season to tell somebody, again, it's not talking about mine, not talking about yours, but His, my church. Let's pray. Father, thank You for my church. God, thank You for being the founder. Thank You for being the foundation. Thank You for being the one who paid for our church's future. God, thank You that we have the ability to open the door of the gospel to all those who would enter, God. And we know that we can't make them come in. We can't make them receive the gospel. But God, if we're not giving them the opportunity, if we're not witnessing, if we're not being an effective sower of the seed of the gospel, God, I pray that you convict hearts tonight. Put that one on their heart. Put that one on their mind that they're to witness to during this holiday season. Lord, it may be a coworker, It may be a teammate. It may be a classmate. It may be somebody that they're going to bump into at the store, God. As we talked about this morning, you may put them in their path, but God, some of us just need to go through Samaria to quit beating around the bush, to quit taking the long way around and go directly to the person that you lay on our hearts. God, give your people the boldness and the faith to know that what they're going to tell them about is not something man-made, it's not something man-created, it's not something of flesh and blood, but it's something that you made, that you created, that you died for, that you are able to still work in and be active in and be alive in, and that you can introduce yourself to the lost all around us. God, I pray and I ask that if there's any in this invitation that would want to come forward and, and lay somebody at the altar and give ask for the boldness and the faith to witness to them that have that son or that daughter or that grandson or granddaughter or have that family member that's out lost or out doing things they know they shouldn't be doing, God, help them to bring them to the altar tonight and give them the faith and the boldness to go tell them about my church. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.